0: You are listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks, a biblical, practical, and spiritual conversation about living and leading worship. Let's lean into today's episode. Well, hey, thanks so much for listening to the Worshipology podcast. This is a conversation about living and leading worship. It's for worship teams, worship leaders, and worshipers of Jesus. And today, I couldn't be more excited because I've been trying to get this guy on the podcast for a long time, and I was just so fortunate that uh, you answered my call this week. Simon Dixon, say what's up to our listeners, man. Hello, what's up? Now, I've had some cool accents on this this season. I've had you know a guy from South Africa. I've had Will Heron, who's from Northern Ireland. But, Simon, you're from England, and everybody can agree that that's probably the coolest accent ever. Well, I don't know about that, but you're very kind. <laughs> and, Simon, we've known each other for quite, quite some time now. When I was in Washington, D.C., we got to know each other. Um, you were on the board of the church that I planted in Nashville, Bridges, Nashville, and you've just kind of been – a calm and wise voice in my life, uh, for many years. And man, I just think it'd be so encouraging to get you on the podcast and just encourage some of our listeners with your story and just with your experience in worship, man. But for those who don't know, Simon Dixon, uh, maybe just share just a little bit of your story. How'd you get started with ministry and music and worship? Mm Talk about that. Okay. Well, thanks, Curtis.
1: And it really is such a joy to be with you, brother. And um, thank you for inviting me. Um, Just a little bit about my background. I um, grew up in the UK. Um, I wasn't from a faith-based family, as many of the UK are. And uh, my schooling was actually in an Anglican school, so ironic now that I work for an Anglican church. So I knew all the liturgy, um, back to front, upside down. I sang in the school chapel choir, um, but it did not access my heart, unfortunately. So it was a number of years later. I had then gone to music college. I trained as a classical um, concert organist, um, pianist, conductor, singer, that sort of thing. And um, and I really was earning my living and playing in cathedrals up and down the land and really came to the end of myself. Um, I was really very nervous, anxious all the time with all the performances that I was putting myself through. And uh, a great friend of mine and his wife prayed that I'd be willing to um, go and hear Billy Graham, who was coming to London. It was his last visit and uh, wow yeah i know and so they um they prayed so well that i actually asked them um i saw that bit the adverts for billy graham in london where i was living and i said are you going to hear billy graham because if you are can i come with you
0: <laughs> wow
1: yeah so um it still feels emotional just even remembering that that because i must have crawled into that auditorium. And I, I felt that I heard the truth for the very first time. And um, oh. the words that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, but that there's only a handle on your side, as it were. He's not going to force himself into your life. You um, have the choice of welcoming him in. So um, that's exactly what I did. And in that moment, um, I got myself in front of Billy Graham because I thought, you know, I must do it properly. <laughs> and uh, I was f- <laughs> I was filled with what I know is now the Holy Spirit. Um, I'd heard about something called the Holy Ghost, which sounded rather scary in Anglican liturgy. <laughs> and so I, I I was transformed. I was gloriously forgiven. And Billy Graham said um, that there may be idols in your lives, things that you've worshipped up to this point that you need to lay before Jesus the cross before Jesus. And I knew that I'd made music uh, my idol, it'd been my source of everything, of self-sufficiency, self-worth, security. And so in that moment, um, bearing in mind it was my career, I was willing um, to give it all up, give it all up, just because of the few seconds I'd experienced at that point of, of knowing Jesus in my heart. And um, gloriously, the Lord uh, forgave me. I, I confessed that I, uh, that I had made music an idol, and He graciously gave it back to me in an instant. And I, wow. um, I have given a talk which I call from performance to praise and that's really what happened to me in that moment i went from a life of performance um nothing wrong with performing but um it was all about the performance so it was all about me uh to to really learning to worship and the following 20 or so years have been about worshiping him, our creator, and rather than being reliant on myself. So all the anxiety went away, and um, I shortly joined a, a church um, that had contemporary worship, so at that point I'd only experienced classical, um, music classical worship, and I joined a, yeah. a, a church called Holy Trinity Brompton, which some of you may may know, it's the, it's the, the founder of the Alpha Course, Amazing. Yeah, and I um, limped into there, and and to cut a long story short, I ended up on staff there, and they wanted to see whether we could integrate classical music and the organ with contemporary worship. And that was really a a 20-year journey for me, and I I got to work alongside um, wonderful brothers like um, Andy Piercy and um, Tim Hughes, uh, who were all very patient with me as this classical musician <laughs> <laughs> that had never played from a chord chart before, and and I wow. I was learning to worship from my heart rather than just wow. from my head.
0: There's there's so much gold in just what you've shared about your personal testimony, and I want to just kind of pause here for a minute because, you know, when you were talking about how you had made music an idol, man, I think here we are in a music celebrity day and age within the church, and you know, there's just so many stories that have. Kind of surfaced in these last few years, just about the age of celebrity and how damaging it's been to the body of Christ. And I think, you know, personally, and you and I have talked about this multiple times. Where my story is kind of a story of moving from pride to praise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I was I was pursuing, I wanted to be famous, and and God got a hold of me, and um, it was a small group leader by the name of Chad Usherwood in 2008 who said, Curtis, are you here to make your name famous or God's name famous? And that question changed my life. Yes. And and I would love to hear just some thoughts about how you were able to move from a place. I mean, it sounds like the Holy Spirit did a miracle in your life. Mm-hmm. How were you able to really let go of music as an idol, as a way of identifying your, your own self, and really give it to the lord and what would be that piece of advice that you would tell somebody who's maybe struggling with that right now mm-hmm. that that if they if they were honest and they said hey if i took the stage away from you if i took your microphone away from you how would you be doing
1: right wow that's a that's such a deep question and i i <laughs> i think it's going to be different for each person um i mean someone said to me Simon it interesting that you chose an instrument the organ that really is the loudest instrument but you're also not seen <laughs> so most organs ah, that's know, so good and that really is sort of summarized <laughs> my my character um that I in many ways I it wasn't about me I didn't want to be famous or, or seen I, I actually wanted to be hidden um, but I some but I wanted to make a loud noise and so really I th- wow. I think um, for me it's even to this day, I still lead worship, thinking, "Lord, I've got nothing to bring." I, I mean, I literally, I literally do believe that it's it's not a sort of false humility thing. I literally think, I I feel like I'm a fake, you know. I just I'm not sure why I'm why am I leading worship because <laughs> I really feel I could totally wow. mess up if left to my own strength. I could completely mess this up, and so I think yeah. it, I think it's probably a good thing to come from that place of. Lord, I've only got these few fish and I've only got these few loaves and I know I've practiced but I I feel I've got I've got really nothing and so it's you you're, you're going to have to turn up. It's going to be it's all about you and I'm willing to step out in faith and be used by you and I I think that's very humbling. Um mm. so that that that's kind of where I where I've been coming from I think all these years.
0: I think it's so important for us to recognize that you know we come to a place of Leading worship, that that it's really the Holy Spirit that's leading us. Yes, you know when 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 you were sharing your story, um, you know I'm just constantly. I think so many worship leaders that I talk to and whether, you know, they've been doing it for a long time or just started, there is always pride creeping at the door. There's always yeah. this potential of like, man, look at, look at this position that I have or, or, you know, if you happen to get a song on the radio mm-hmm. or you happen to have a song that other worship teams are singing, mm-hmm. you know, th- everything in our flesh points to ourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why Paul writes, you know, you got to daily die to the flesh and, um, you know, Simon, you're just somebody that, you know, it's so funny because you are uh, such a gentle giant. And, you know, it was, it was so funny because we were uh, there was a whole bunch of worship leaders in the D.C. metro area that came together for we would do quarterly breakfasts. And I remember one of those times we were watching a video from Tim Hughes and the whole crew at Worship Central and HTB, And in the middle of his video, he gives Simon a shout out. <laughs> And, and we all, everybody in the room just looked back at Simon like, what? And you're just kind of like sunk in your chair a little bit like, oh, man, <laughs> the, the word is out. and But I think the way that you carry yourself is such a testimony um, to what God's done in your life. And, you know, what what's one more piece of advice just in that mm-hmm. battling pride? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll move on for sure. But I, I just, I think this is striking such a chord with so many people right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so poignant that you brought it up. Um, What is just one of those practical ways that you can um, keep your pride in check every single day? Um,
1: Well, the one thing that really comes to mind, uh, and it's because I've fallen too many times with this, is not to go for the praise of man. Um, I think for for many years, I would say, looking back, I was... Wanting to please everybody, and and you can't. I mean, somebody pointed out even Jesus didn't please everybody, <laughs> you know. And and <laughs> so so it could you name it. It could be you know it could be a pastor, some authority figure, and I can remember I'd sort of give my all uh, maybe over a Christmas period, and I'd be waiting for that that word of. Um, praise or thanks or that text which never came uh, some maybe it came maybe wow. it didn't come but i can remember the lord dealing with me with that like simon you know it's not it's not about the praise of man um, and he he's so gracious and he actually doesn't let us see the effects um, the worship that we are part of has on people in fact some of the 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 most beautiful feedback I've had has been from times when I thought, well, you know, I really wasn't focused. I really didn't feel I led well. I, I messed up here. I messed up there. And of course, that's the one where you get the no, saying, you know, that that how how meaningful the um, yeah the
0: worship says, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, Lord, yeah, it's not about me. It's it's about you. Thankfully, you know, the the applause of man is something that's never fully satisfied if that's what you're after. Yeah. And I, I can just attest to that. You know, personally, I remember uh, is when I had been on staff at, at National Community for, for a couple of years. And, you know, the church just moves at such a fast pace. There's so many things going on in multiple different departments. But when you would do something kind of big, whether it was a worship night or an album or a different recording, and, you know, you if you're, if you're built off of words of affirmation and that's what you're looking for and it doesn't come, you, you almost take that as an attack, don't you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just remember my wife Sarah, who's I, I also think one way that we stay humble is by the uh, the spouses God provides us <laughs> in our life. So true. And uh, I just remember she she looked at me, and you know Sarah, and she's so she's so quiet natured, but she just looked at me and she said, you know Curtis, you're always after an affirmation from your pastor. The very fact that you're the worship pastor should show you that you have it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and and it just it just kind of floored me. It was like, yeah, I guess. I guess if you think about it that way, if I wasn't doing a great job, I probably wouldn't have one right now. And, <laughs> and it really just put things into perspective and into check with me. And I just I really appreciate you you bringing that to light, especially just today. And, um, you know, it's so easy to get lost in the praise of man. So I appreciate you saying that. You know, another thing that really stood out is You know, part of your journey has been blending the classical with the contemporary, and you did that. I think you said, what, 20-something years at HDB? Uh-huh. Um, directing classical worship and and talk to me a little bit about that because I'm starting to see that resurge in the church at large where you know maybe you'll have a grand piano on stage or you know the cello isn't just a novelty I, I mean it's starting to show up in weekly sets now mm-hmm. and just these beautiful orchestral arrangements and then you've got hymns um, that are a part of our modern liturgy today talk to me about that like what were some um, I guess, some key ways that you were able to blend both of those worlds and uh-huh. maybe just some advice for churches that are looking to do that now oh. with generational worship.
1: Oh, gosh, there's so much I could say about that. Um, <laughs> yes, I, well, I um, I love those words from Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, you know. And so um, mm. I—and um, this was nobody's fault, but when I, when I came to, to Holy Trinity Brompton, I felt like I— had nothing to bring uh, but literally because uh, it was all contemporary mi- musicians contemporary worship and so I felt yeah. as a, even though I was earning my living as a as a concert musician I I felt um, I can't I can't help you know I can't be part of this so so I, I was fine for two years I just went and I just worshiped and it actually was really great <laughs> um, but then there was a graduate so sort of thought well Lord you've given me this this talent and I would really love to use it for your glory on on a Sunday and um, through through the help of pastors and as I said people like Tim and Andy we realized we, we thought well surely we could use um, the organ and and classical instruments as you say, um, you know, the string instruments are, are being used. And I think it's, it, you know, we both come from churches where we, we have a plethora of um, of talent, you know, but but some of the conferences I've been to and people I've talked to, they say, well, you know, we literally do have one person who plays the guitar a bit, someone who played the piano a bit, and there's a, a trombone player, you know. And so it's really just use what, what you've got. You know, who have you got in your church? Who's yeah. willing? And so... There really is the possibility of um, bringing this all together, and I and I and and again, stop me, because I'm going down any any rabbit trails, but I do think, for instance, for, for classical musicians coming into contemporary setting, mm-hmm. there's a number of things to consider. One is that um, really for those of us who who are from a classical background, there's a almost a fear um, of the uh, of playing without music uh, and it can be a real barrier right right and right. we might not we might not admit that <laughs> we might just say i don't like contemporary worship but wow. actually we might be saying i can't play without music and that was my case and mm. so it, uh, to learn um f- off a chord sheet was was quite a humbling experience <laughs> uh, uh, but so freeing so freeing and, and so there's some practical things you,
0: you can do to help a classical musician move into a, a contemporary setting. You know, you don't really think about that so many times where if, if you have somebody coming from the classical trained world, yeah, they're used to sheet music. They're used to treble clef, bass clef, notes on a you know, the five or however many lines there are, and it's yeah. like, Yeah, what we got here is uh we've got the lyrics and we've got these letters right above those lyrics and that's how we play. <laughs> that's right. And you know, it's you know what's wild is that I mean, nowadays with praise charts and choral arrangements and a lot more, I think, uh, focus and attention on not just the chord chart, but so much more than that—lead sheets and all that good stuff. I think there's such an opportunity to reach those musicians in your church who maybe think, I don't, like what you just said, like, "No, nah, I don't know if that's going to work for what what they're yeah. doing." And mm-hmm. and um, you know, I just I just remember um, a few years back you know, showing a chord chart to somebody who had been classically trained and it was just like Greek to them. And then I remembered, you know, hey, if they were to put up sheet music in front of me, I mean, I read sheet music back in my teenage years, (laughs) but I'm not so good anymore. And so just remembering that we all have different musical backgrounds, we all are coming from different experiences and how do you bridge that gap um, that's really good, Simon. Thank you. Well,
1: that's right, and and another couple of things on that. I can remember the first few years of pl- using the organ with the with the worship team of being sort of literally terrified of suddenly a, a song being changed from the the Holy Spirit was something doing different um, to the rehearsal, and and suddenly a song being being <laughs> added that I hadn't practiced or a key change. Um, so these things were were literally sort of terrifying uh, for me, and and. I think one of the one of the key things as a, a contemporary worship leader is to to know how to help a classical musician. And so a classical musician would generally think that they're meant to play the whole time, for instance. And so it's always... The, oh, yeah, yeah. So it's the phrase uh, I always teach is less is more. And so whether I'm teaching someone to play organ in contemporary or piano, actually, uh, or any, any orchestral instrument, it, it may be that you don't play until you know, the second chorus, and you're just coming in on a, you know, one note, and you're just going to hold that one note, and that's something that has to be learned as well. You don't have to be busy the whole time.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, dude, I have to ask you this. You know, you've, you've been at HTB, and now you've been stateside for some time at the Falls Church, and... Uh, I'd just love to just kind of hear just some wisdom just from your perspective through the years with the different styles and different churches. And one of the things that I've learned from you is just the power of liturgy in worship. And and it seems to me that the Anglican Church utilizes a, a liturgy maybe better than most churches do. What, what's the beauty and the power of having a liturgy? And, and for those who are like, what in the world is liturgy? Maybe explain a little bit, unpack uh, the idea and, and where it comes from and having a liturgy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, the, yeah, the Anglican Church... And I certainly didn't appreciate this growing up, but I have come to appreciate it now. It has a a way of worship that it kind of goes back through the ancient um, days of, of worship, and so we have sort of set ways um, in our in our service, as it were. And what we're finding is that rather than being constricting, it's actually. Freeing and so imagine really coming to the end of yourself and your prayer, um, your prayer words, and it really lays out some beautiful liturgies, some beautiful prayers that maybe we can't find in our in our hearts. It 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 transcends wow. our limited understanding, as it were. And so, I mean, for instance, we have um two settings of the the creed and just the opening words. Listen to these words. This is the Nicene Creed, and this is something that we speak. Um, every week. And the words are, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. I mean, these are just wonderful words that we, we speak. Wow. <laughs> And we were um, actually well. I was actually at a a, a songwriting conference that, that um, dear Matt Redman was um, giving last
0: week in in DC. And we were talking. Were you there? Yes.
1: Were you there? I didn't. Oh, you were there. Were you? No, 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 I didn't.
0: I didn't make it out. And I I really wish I had been there, man. Uh, it looked so. It looked amazing. Well, it's
1: awesome. And I've got I've got a few little pearls of wisdom I wrote down. To, um, I'm happy to share uh, here if you if you want. But we were talking about the beauty of of liturgy and he he was saying that he doesn't experience um in church um the the gift of confession and so wow. um and how important that is we come you you know that the worship is a it's a it's a progression of coming in from the outer courts where we've we're just com- we're just praising, but we move into a time of confession before we can really receive and hear from God, wow. and and that that is, is is part of our Anglican liturgy. And so what we're we're finding um, surprisingly really is that the the kind of the me 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 culture that we're in is is turning to um, certainly to Anglican liturgy. Uh, as one place of, of coming out of that me-centered culture. And it, it's almost like giving them a little door to to walk through. And so we're finding uh, a lot of um, people now returning to the church, because, but particularly because of love
0: for liturgy. You know, it's interesting. I noticed that especially in what I would say is like a 30 and under mm-hmm. crowd, mm-hmm. Uh, just so many, you know, Gen Z and, and I don't even know if, you know, millennials would be, in that age category at all, but, but, you know, the idea of just the traditional roots and grounding themselves into something that, um, you know, it's like you said, it's not restricting, but it's actually freeing to kind of walk. And we, we would call it like freedom within framework, you know, like the liturgy kind of provides you this framework of a church service so that you're walking through this journey. And by the end of it, you look back and you're just like, man, that was a well-traveled path. Yes. And and I just think, you know, I remember there were several times where you would have me uh, involved in some of the worship Mm -hmm. that was going on. Um, in those Anglican settings, and dude, I grew up in the most non-denominational, like non-planned uh, out services of all time. My dad, you know, he pastored a church that uh, you know is in Roanoke and it was non-denominational, and uh, I feel like sometimes we just needed to put a sign out that said "crazies welcome." I mean, you know, like you just you you never knew what was going to go down at that church, and I mean, it was amazing and it was you know huge in the formation of my faith. But uh, looking back, you know, I just I never really experienced, uh, you know a lot of, um, I guess, liturgy at the end of the day. And so in my later years, you know, finding moments where like, yeah, maybe as a child of nine or 10, this would have been boring to me. But now, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if my maturity level hasn't come to the place in Christ where I can appreciate all different atmospheres and environments where faith and the cross and Jesus Christ are lifted high, um, you know, I think I might be missing it, and so, man, why don't you explain just a couple other areas where maybe the Anglican Church um, just has uh, a uniqueness to it when it comes to how we do church in this modern age, Simon? Oh my word! Well, um, well, just I guess this one thing to
1: say is that when we were, as you know, we we built our own church. Um, I think it's three, four years ago now, and. When we we consulted Tim Keller um, about, we said, "What do you think our ch- literally our church building, should look like?" And it's sort of related to literacy in sense. And he said, "Whatever you do, make your church look like a church." <laughs> he said that, it, that he felt that that's what people want, and we we have found that um people who are visiting will say oh we saw your church as opposed to to a warehouse etc because we were totally open to to really anywhere a garage what a a shopping mall yeah. anything really and it, so it was surprising really that we actually ended up with a church looking like a church and so with it within that I, there is this sort of ancient traditions of of liturgy and i suppose a, well, a couple of things to answer your question. One is is um, taking communion. Um, that's a, a very important part of our Anglican liturgy, and we we have a, a communion service every every Sunday at, at eight o'clock, and then twice a month in our other services. So we take the Eucharist, and there's a beautiful um, way that 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 we do that. We 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 sing a Sanctus, we sing an uh, an Agnus Dei, Lamb of God, um, a, a, and there's just a a beauty and a reverence about. Uh, taking communion, uh, the bread representing mm. the body of Christ, the, the wine representing the blood of Christ given for for us, and then uh, really not so well known, uh, but a but a true Anglican form of worship is something called choral evensong, and we don't do that okay. very often here. But it's in if ever you any of you go to to the UK and go to London. I would really recommend part of your your time there going to somewhere like Westminster Abbey or St. Paul's Cathedral. And they they offer this sort of afternoon sung liturgy service uh, most weekdays and um, it's just beautiful as I said everything is sung so you have the choirs it's just beauty uh, transcendent beauty mm. of liturgy uh, so that's really a, that's really as Anglican as it as it gets and we've, we've done it a couple of t- <laughs> times here it's quite a lot of work <laughs> um, I, oh my yeah, gosh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well... and I mean the last thing would be our uh, hymnody and I, I think you know our hymns um, have so much to offer don't they and I, I really would encourage you know, anyone listening who leads worship to, to include the ancient um hymns in in your worship. And I think it's great to adapt them, you know, to change them. But there's there's again, if you think of some of the Wesleyan hymns, and we're not talking Anglican now, that we're talking Methodist, um but right, but right. but the beauty of that the scriptural truths in our hymnody
0: is something that we we really want to tap into. I do think that the passion that this generation has for like just deeper roots. And, and a lot of that would come with the, the ancient gospel traditions, Mm -hmm. the hymnody that you just said, a liturgy, um, that's very interesting. And, you know, for, for somebody like me who is at a, a super contemporary, Um, You know, we're in Assemblies of God Church, so very charismatic, very Pentecostal. Um, But finding those moments where um, there's like these rhythms, you know, so like every second Sunday we have baptisms in our service. Every first Sunday we take communion as a church and it's just it's just a step towards, um, you know, kind of getting grounded and rooted in things that uh, you look forward to. There's like this longing. There's a, there's an eagerness that comes with like, oh, it's communion Sunday or, you know, it's, and, and I think, you know, what you said about confession is so powerful because I do think that there's not a lot of uh, churches who make space for that. Mm-hmm. And so if you're listening as a worship leader, worship pastor somewhere, I would maybe just explore with, with your lead pastor or, you know, just kind of process and pray through what could that look like? to make confession, um, you know, a part of of our worship service more regularly because you've already got my wheels spinning on like, um, you know, we've just been kind of experimenting in our worship time, Simon, where we've had, you know, instead of just going right from song two to song three, you know, and changing the pad real quick and getting it. We we just created this space. Uh. And so like, even like yesterday, yesterday was our Sunday service and we just kind of just played a pad and just kind of, it was like, I don't know, maybe maybe four or five minutes of space, but it was like, Mm. you know, we had just, finished singing the song, I speak Jesus. And it was just like a moment where in your life do you need to declare the name of Jesus? Where do you need to focus on his presence? What do you need to pray about right here in this moment in our sanctuary, like in the service? And it was powerful, man. And I think the more that we, um, kind of get out of our box and just allow the Lord, um, to mix up our rhythms and to shake up our, you know, production and all that stuff. Those are special moments, man. Well, dude, mm-hmm. I, want, I want to kind of bring us into a, a big question here. Um, just from your perspective, man, what are you seeing big picture when it comes to worship in the church today? And I'm talking, this could be, you know, hey, maybe there's an area that uh, we need to focus in, and get right with the Lord. Or maybe there's an area where, man, yes, you're hitting it on all cylinders. This is going great. But what mm-hmm. do you see in big picture in the church when it comes to worship today, Simon? Oh, wow. That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I I um, I
1: feel really excited and, and hopeful about um, worship generally. I think... We will always remember the the COVID years, and and they were they were hard <laughs> years for 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 many of us, and mm. um, certainly for me personally, they were very very hard. There was some personal tragedy, and. Yeah. Um, anyway I, I think coming coming we, we're coming out of that time certainly what I'm seeing, and there's there's a new hope there's a new life and i'm I'm seeing that reflected in worship and we were talking about that um, with Matt uh, at last week and and he well he was saying that he was asked a similar question and so he was saying that he's seeing a lot of young um, worship. Um, writers he's sing he's sing a lot of um, people writing new songs and and yeah. that's so encouraging that's so encouraging to see and to witness and 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 then just going on the back again of this time with Matt one of the things that we also talked about was and there's an absence of um, lament and um, I hope this sort of ties in a bit with your question, but I thought that's really interesting. We were talking about how there's really virtually no songs written in a minor key, uh, virtually no songs written on on lament, and and the the challenge mm. of that is where where do we go when we're suffering? Because we don't always feel like singing happy songs, and and say again, just touching back on COVID, it's like wh- what were the songs that we sung? And yes, we 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 ra- we raise our arms, our voices to. To the Lord, but there is a place, and the Psalms are full of it. Full of, of places where we can lament, and so in terms of yeah. writing songs, that I found that very challenging. I think we all did to hear that. Um, that 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 there's a there's an opportunity there.
0: I think you're probably the third uh, worship guest on this podcast that's mentioned that, and so I think there's something to that, Simon. I do believe that uh, somebody once told me about two thirds of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, people in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation did not hide from crying out to the Lord in their pain, in their suffering. And that's usually mm-hmm. where he meets us in, mm-hmm. in a very powerful way, man. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, wh- one more question I got to ask you here. Um, and this is a loaded one. And, Uh-oh. you know, you're one of those guys where whenever I see you or whenever we get to catch up on the phone or, uh, you know, when we're fortunate enough to share a meal together, um, I just always want to know, what, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you uh, right here and right now? What, what has He just been kind of playing on repeat in your heart? And, um, man, I would just love to, to just have you encourage uh, people, because you are somebody that, that I know hears from the Holy Spirit. And um, there's just been so many moments throughout the years where you've said it could be a sentence. I'll never forget the time that you told me um, that Jesus was never in a hurry. And I don't even know if you remember (laughs) that conversation, but that really stuck with me because I was in a time where I was just rushing and I was so busy. My schedule was jam-packed and I had no time to just rest. And it really changed my life. And I would just love to hear, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now, man? Oh, gosh, thank you, Curtis. Well, um,
1: a couple of things. Again, very simple thing, but I think having had the privilege of of leading worship for for a while and this is this is what i want to share is that love is the best way love is the best way and that's really in terms of how we usher people into the lord's presence and how we um work alongside others um worship as how we enable worship so both with our congregations and with those um we worship alongside and really i yeah, that that is something I'm continuing to, to learn, to always be kind, always be forgiving, always be um, give people focused attention. And uh, things always go better that way. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that. Um, and then personally, for me, again, coming out of this time of, of COVID, um, of um, building a new church, having a, a wonderful new Pastor, I feel the Lord is is opening doors, um, which is really again a reason why I um, was so glad to accept your invitation today, and so I'm I'm. The words I keep getting, Simon, don't hold back. <laughs> so wow. here's an Englishman not holding back. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm finding some doors are, are being opened and I'm willing to step through. So I, I got to write a couple of articles um, for uh, something called the Royal School of Church Music. And so the Lord is, is, is I think, choosing to use my, my classical traditional background, but also now many years of, of leading and being involved in contemporary worship. Um, and one of one of the things I I've just been invited to be on, on a panel with various bishops and arch an archbishop on um, writing a new hymnal for the Anglican Church. So wow. I'm actually really ex, really excited about that. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, so I'm flying out to um, Texas in a couple of weeks' time to to start that process. And so yeah, it's it's see um see I'm doing a new thing uh and to to be willing to step into that. And I think at the end of the day that's all the Lord is looking for us uh is are, mm. are we willing? Are we willing to to step forward and and you look at someone like well yourself um just just hearing from Matt Redmond who's just stood the test of time yeah uh, he's been willing to to step out. And, and what a blessing, you know, that he has been and is to, to so many others as a result of that.
0: I love that. If you're not encouraged by that, uh, the Lord is doing a new thing. Look for those open doors. Don't be afraid to step out. That's so good, Simon. Um, <laughs> I'm excited for you, man. And, you know, when I was just kind of looking up some of the things that you're up to, I see that you're involved with the C.S. Lewis Institute. Uh, uh-huh. That's exciting, man. I mean, you're just such a legend, uh-huh. such a kind heart. And uh, you got so much wisdom to share. I appreciate you spending some time with us today on Worshipology, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks. To learn more and to find resources for worship leaders and teams, you can visit curtisparks.com.